What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hey, Flamethrowers, Amira here, and I'm so pleased to bring you a continuation of our conversations in coaching. Back in episode 175, Much Ado About Coaching, we all kind of dove deep on the matter, but we didn't want the conversation to stop there. Since then, I've hosted a conversation with Dr. Derek White on Black College football coaches. I most recently talked to the CEO of We Coach, Megan Kahn, and high school football coach and LA Rams scouting apprentice, Mickey Grace, about their experiences with coaching and athletic administration. We also previewed the Breakthrough Summit sponsored by Huddle and We Coach, dedicated to getting more women into coaching ranks. And we also have a bonus Patreon segment on good coaching that if you're a Patreon, I highly recommend you listen to. If you listen to that, you'll know that there was a snippet of the conversation in there that I was pleased to have that I teased from this interview that I'm bringing to you today. And that is my conversation with Penn State women's soccer coaches, Ann Cook and Erica Dombach. Now, I am so pleased to have this conversation because, of course, these are my colleagues here at Penn State, and I have seen up close what rock star coaches they are. And so I could not be more happy to have them join me on the podcast today. Just so you know how phenomenal these women are, let me give you such a little brief taste rundown of their accomplishments because we would be here, the whole episode would be their accomplishments if uh, if I really went through all of them. But Ann Cook is the associate head coach and director of player development here at Penn State. She gets a lot out of these girls, let me tell you. She um, has had a long career coaching in the college ranks. She's also really involved with the organization Soccer Without Borders. She serves as a board member, and she has um, been involved in trips, sometimes with Penn State student-athletes to Nicaragua, to Egypt, um, playing soccer across across the globe and opening up points of access to the game. She also has her own illustrious playing career. She played with the national team and was also um, in the WUSA, early professional women's soccer league here in the early 2000s. And she has been here at Penn State for 14 years. Also, who's been here with her for 14 years, of course, is Erica Dombach, who is the head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions. 
She has been coaching college for many years and over her entire illustrious career, she's uh, accumulated 259 career wins, which is a 0.706 win percentage, which is just phenomenal. <laughs> like seriously, two-time national coach of the year, four-time Big Ten coach of the year. She's been to 16 uh, tournaments, 10 Big Ten titles that um, her and uh, Anne have brought here together. And of course, that 2015 national championship. Erica also coaches at the national level, currently serving as assistant coach to the women's national team. And of course, Erica and Anne were both teammates at William & Mary, where their friendship uh, blossomed. And here they are going into their 14th season at Penn State as friends and colleagues. And I could not be more excited to have this conversation about coaching, about friendship, about the joys and the pains of it. So welcome to Burn It All Down. I guess the biggest place to start is like, I think about this all the time. So many athletes I know, like it's, it's the sport, it's the game. And then I'm really curious about when something goes off in your head to say, Hey, I want to coach. Like I actually want to be a coach. When was that? Well, I feel like you need to go first because you knew well before I did. I still don't know actually. Well, because you had other choices. Um, I think, uh, I think for me, uh, you talk about why people get into coaching and for some, you know, like people that start a coffee shop, they love coffee or an ice cream parlor. They love ice cream. I don't think it was necessarily that way for me. Um, I certainly loved the sport, but I loved playing the sport. And once those opportunities, I, I wasn't good enough to continue to play. I did go on and try to pursue other things. Um, And I think what I missed when I tried to go into the biology field and these other areas was just team, that feeling of connectedness and and team. And and I had a a former coach that kind of brought me back in and and offered me an opportunity to get back involved in the game. But in terms of when I really realized that I would coach, I think happened after I had already started coaching for a little bit. Coaching was a a means to, to work on my graduate degree, still thinking I was going to go be this marine biologist or something crazy that was never probably really never going to happen. Um, But it wasn't until probably my third year in coaching when I started to, to kind of feel the connectedness with the players and the impact and just that feeling of, you know, you you talk about giving back, but it really was that feeling of um, the coaches that I've had were absolutely the most incredible you know, had the most impact of anybody in my life besides my parents. And, and so that was probably what brought me into it was that, that group probably in year three, where you felt, wow, I I feel like maybe I had a small impact on their careers. Yeah, I I remember you, like the the first time I remember you speaking passionately about it was actually when you were in um, doing your MBA at Lehigh and you and I had big plans to like start a business, like, right. We were going to take over your, your family camp. And I was all excited. Cause I was like, sweet. I don't, I don't have to figure out what I want to do. She's going to figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, and then you started talking passionately about coaching. I was like, well, crap, <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out my own path. What? But as it turned out for me, I didn't even really have to figure out my own path. She, uh, she pointed me in the right direction from the get go. I was still playing. And so, when the the first league dried up the WSA um I tried to get out of soccer altogether I actually accepted a seat in law school and uh Erica called and was like what what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> you don't even know you you don't, 
you don't want to be a lawyer. And I was like, well, you're right. I don't want to be a lawyer, but I do want to go to law school. That sounds great. And uh, I had done some work in um, when I was in the league and in, in politics a little bit and, and everybody on Capitol Hill has a law degree. So I just thought that's what you do. And But she very wisely talked me into take a coaching job, take some classes, see what you want to do. And so I deferred and then deferred again. And then here I am. So deferring. (laughs) Actually. Well, I mean, you, you touched on something that I love so much when everybody was doing the, like how it started, where, how going challenge a few weeks ago. I love that you put up the picture coach of when you guys were playing at William and Mary together. Right. And then, and of course, holding the big 10 trophy or was it the national trophy? I don't know what picture you, but you have a lot of trophies. Um, How much of this journey in coaching has been sweetened by doing it together? Well, I can say for sure that I wouldn't still be doing it. I, I, if I, if I wasn't doing it with Erica, I I think that's pretty certain in my, in my walk anyway. Yeah. And I think initially when this all started, we weren't doing it together because I was following her playing career and and I did fall in love with it. And I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. Um, But now after 13 years in the conversations that we have, I, I, I just absolutely couldn't imagine doing this without Anne by my side. And it, it's just, it's, it's so much more enjoyable. I mean, coaching bring, does bring a lot of joy, but nothing in the way that doing it with somebody you love and your friendship and just laughing through the, the hard times, right? And that's, that's what we look back on so many of our coaches and, and those lonely times are so lonely as a coach. And, and we just don't necessarily experience it to the lows of our peers because we're able to kind of pick each other up and put our arm around each other and remind, remind what, we're, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Absolutely. The big picture is, is so important. And I think um, one of the things when, when we start talking about the pipeline and about, you know, trying to get more women involved, one of the things that where I feel a little bit like a hypocrite is that we have such an amazing situation. Like she talks about making the coaching world more fun. It's also more manageable. Like it is such a demanding from time and from energy and from all of those things. But um, because of our like working relationship as well as our our long friendship, those times are are just more manageable. Where if if she were a traditional boss, I I wouldn't probably be able to manage, you know, hard times in my family or a, a death in the family or a time that I need to you know to step away and in, in a way that um, has allowed I think both of us to to do this for longer term maybe than than otherwise would be would be manageable. I mean, I think that's such an important point because I I remember when my uh, best friend's husband got into coaching, he was a former NFL player. And it was like looking at the prospect of frequent moves and jumping around and it was really challenging. And one of the things that comes up, of course, when talking about women is not only their relationships, but also what happens when it comes to parenting, right? With that situation. And Erica, you have two beautiful little girls and I can imagine like for so many of us in state college this is a place where it becomes easier to juggle some of these things just because of the the way the town is kind of structured but what do you see out there in terms of barriers for women in coaching when it comes to you know child rearing and things like that I think the, the probably the biggest thing is just the way that you want to um, to raise your children um, how you want to make yourself available as much as you possibly can, how you want to include them in 
um, in what's going on. You know, you look at the situation that Coach Franklin is in right now, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the sacrifices that he's making for his program and for his players. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily a gender difference in that I, I absolutely couldn't imagine going through that type of uh, months upon months of not seeing my children, um, I'm, I'm not sure I could do and make that ultimate sacrifice. That doesn't make me a better parent and, and or him a better parent or whatnot. It's just a, it's just a difference that I feel. Um, but on the flip side, I do know that if I have an opportunity to go away for a couple of days and be, be a part of a national team camp or something, I also, you know, Ann and Kara jump in and, and this village jumps in and, and, and helps with these girls. And I, and I'm able to do things because I know not only, um, is it good for me? But the girls' lives are enriched. They get more of the people that that we love to be around. So, um, you know, I think it is tremendously challenging for, for man or woman with children. Um, but but obviously that village makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Now you guys are coaching college kids. And it always seems to be, I mean, I get very emotional because I know I only have these kids for a semester and then they like go over like four years, right? Um, at most five but it also means you have to like, you have a new team all the time that you have to reconnect with and instill your philosophy and values on. Like how hard is it coaching at the collegiate level? And what do you think makes you all so successful as a program um, when you have people coming in and out and, and you know, it's just a carousel? Uh, I mean, I think first and foremost is that this is where we want to be, right? We love this age range of kids. Like they, it just is, it's just such a cool time in, in um, these young women's lives where they're trying to figure out understanding who they were with their parents and, and back home and then have these these years to figure out who they who they are, you know, and that that's a part of their identity, but is it all of their identity and, and all these experiences that, um, they kind of meld into the the person they become as they they leave here is just it's a really cool part to like a, a just an awesome time to get to be involved in and so i think like we all we're pretty good at foregrounding that in in the way that we interact with them i think for the most part at least we try to be um and and keep that that big picture in mind that it's it is a whole lot less about whether we're playing a 3-5-2 or a 4-4-2 or the tactics involved in our particular game plan. And it's a whole lot more about, um, you know, what, what they're doing off the field and, and how we can kind of help mold them into to who they're going to be. And so I think for us, like we try really hard to keep that in perspective. I don't think we always do a great job, but, you know, we put a, a big emphasis on, on culture and, and on those, those pieces and, and try to, you know, weave it through everything that we do. And I think also a big part of our program that we're so proud of is that we do recruit culture over talent. And hopefully in, in cases you don't sacrifice one for the other, right? But if, you know, if it is, if we are having to make a choice in any of it, um, we've learned that, that that culture piece is everything for us. And so, yes, it is anytime you put 26 women in a room, and try to call them a team and make them, they're gonna be, we call it our one big dysfunctional family, just like we have at home, right? And we don't try to, we, do, we don't try to disguise it. You know, it is, we are incredibly dysfunctional and we work 
our tails off at trying to be as functional as possible. But yeah, it's, it's what makes you so proud when you do lift that trophy is you kind of look at the story of each of these students and you go, let me tell you about her story. Not let me tell you about her playing time. Let me tell you about her ability. Let me tell you about her journey because every one of them is, makes you so proud because they all of them come with these ups and downs for the four years as they grow and begin to learn who they are. I'm mostly amazed at like I'm somebody who am I'm like not calm on the sidelines like it like it pains me to watch sports but especially sports I played so like soccer was my number one sport um, that I played on up through college until I had Samari and I just like even on the sidelines like I'm a yeller and I look at y'all and you're like fairly zen and I know that you're like you're not like that's not just the only emotion you're having but like how do you learn how to not I mean like everybody has their own sideline tactics have you felt like your sideline tactics have evolved did you used to yell is it like just calm is it like a one-two punch I'm very intrigued about like the thought process because I know for me I'm losing my mind I'm like hello <laughs> crash the net I literally scream that way too much at game well because you're there and doing it we don't have to that's a big part of our our secret um honestly I think for both of us it it is sort of our natural tendency to be a little bit more um zen on the sideline but I will say that we've had the opposite modeled for us in our college coach who we adore and love very, very much. And we took many good things from him, but that was something that, that I very much took towards the end of my college career. I recognized how much I was feeding off of his energy. And when he was nervous and erratic and crazy, I was playing more nervous and erratic and crazy. So um, that, was, that was a big lesson for me before I knew that I was gonna, gonna be on the sideline myself. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think it was a part of us before we even started coaching because it just became who we were through that time. Um, I, I do know that kind of the only time, and, and Anne will get a giggle out of this and probably add to it, but I find the only time that I kind of lose my mind and my head spins around is is mostly out of, I would say, bravery and effort. Those are the two things and things that I feel are very much in their control. I don't, even inside, I don't feel like I have to hold down the emotions if if their technique isn't good or their tactics aren't right. But if the effort wasn't there and knows I have a huge pet peeve of people turning their backs, um, you know, just that bravery piece and putting yourself out for the team, that's trust in my mind. And then somebody that just doesn't put the effort in. Those to me are the ones that I actually can't control what's inside of me. Otherwise, if it's, if it's the other areas and I feel like they need that fire, I'm not sure it can come from me or else it, it is a little bit forced at that point. Yeah, I, you know, and I think honestly, both of us would put our hand up and say at times it's a weakness of ours that, that, that we need to be more fiery. Um, the only time I've, I've lost my mind twice in, in my coaching career um, at Penn State and, and both of them were times when I felt the referee wasn't doing enough to protect our players. Um, and both times, man, did I lose my mind and, <laughs> and I'm not at all proud. I'll get you the video of my reaction. Oh yeah, I want that. Um, but you know, I, I do think that there are times where we could do a better job of even speaking up for our players, um, when things are, are not going the way they should be going or, um, or yelling more to get more out of them. Um, because I, you know, I do think, I think Eric is right. Like her triggers are, are very, consistent. And I think that's one of the reasons that 
the players respond to her the way they do is that she's very consistent with what her her expectations are but I think um, you know both of us when we really sit and evaluate ourselves as as coaches it's an area that we that we talk about. Hey Lindsay are you busy Mm -hmm. right now? It's a busy time of year. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know I was thinking about like how December we're like in a pandemic the holidays are coming like any second now it's cold I don't know everything feels hard right now and I just think we should all be making part of our life easier and if you are looking to hire someone Indeed can help you do that Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person that you need to keep your business going best of all you only pay for what you need you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right. I have realized I have done y'all, my Uncle Quentin, and everybody such a disservice by only telling you about football bets on Bet Online. Like, obviously, we know that they go the extra mile to give you game spreads and totals and teams and players and coaching. You know, I've been saying they give you more options to wager, but how silly of me to say all the options only for football because they literally give you all the options to wager, like more sports than just that. For instance, you could lay a bet on snooker, which I Googled, (laughs) and it's sort of like pool. Like... (laughs) Everything you could do if, you know, you want to lay a bet on album of the year, Jess, you can go hype up Taylor. She's at negative 250 odds, which again, I don't know what that means means either, but you could do it. So they have all the Grammy awards there snooker table tennis all of the things if you're really uh you know masochist and you want to do political futures you can even lay a bet on who will win the 2024 election oh no 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 but by uh, far uh. my absolute favorite thing that you can go bet on right now is competitive eating you can go lay a bet on if joey chestnut in the hot dog contest for 2021 will be over or under 74 and a half hot dogs. Mm. So listen, go to bet online, take advantage of all the sign up bonuses, bet on some hot dogs. Don't forget to use the promo code blue wire at BetOnline.ag. That's blue wire. All one word bet online, your online sportsbook experts on clearly everything. I wonder what the, COVID protocols are at the hot dog eating contest. I try not to dwell. <laughs> that is such a burn it all down question. After hearing that, how will they be handled? Oh, gross. When Title IX happened, women were clearly the dominant. They were close to ninety-five percent of what made up women coaching women's collegiate sports. Now that number is under fifty percent. As it professionalized, obviously men came into the decision, but also 
what came with it was all of these like weird pathologies around like, well, when you coach women, you have to be tender or you have to do it like this. Like there are all of these kind of philosophies that wasn't really grounded in reality, but actually just like why you would like want a strong man in the job, right? Because they would be parental or fatherly, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, you know, part of the fight now about the sideline is getting women onto the sideline, getting people of color onto the sideline and like reshaping our picture of what it even means to look like or be a coach. And that's why, you know, I really want to have this conversation with y'all. When you think about that pipeline and you think about, um, you know, how to get those sidelines to reflect the pitch more, um, what are the things, what are some of the initiatives you see happening? What are some of the things you see um, doing conversations you have with your girls, your team about, about the path to coaching? I'll jump in because I there's something that really stands out in my mind about our path. Um, when we were sophomores in college, we had an assistant coach that grabbed us and looked at us in the eyes and basically talked passionately about how she felt that our leadership needs to come out more. And then, and then subsequently down the road, even took me to my first coaching course. And, and I, I, that, that moment has stayed with me for 20 years. And for her, maybe it was a fleeting moment of, of grabbing a player and putting that confidence in them or looking them in the eyes going, I believe in you that you can do this. And that's something that I've not done enough of. When I have done it, I feel like it has had a, a very similar effect, but I've thought about that more and more of, I see these, these young women in our program, these natural born leaders that love the game that I think would be wonderful as coaches and just going on, not just once, but a couple of different coffee breaks and saying, hey, I, I really think this could be a wonderful profession for you. And these are all the reasons why this is what I see in you and ultimately where they go, the path they go on. But I think that would be influential and something we can continue to do more of from my standpoint. To kind of jump on there too, I think one of, one of the things that we're seeing so much is the, the dearth of women coaches in the youth game. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be their career, but I, I think we have an obligation to do more than, than we're doing right now, even just to, something that we've, we've talked about is to try to bring in a, a coaching course into state college and, and you know really encouraging all of our kids to do it, even if they just end up coaching a YMCA team or an AYSO team, that's, that's awesome. Like that's a female coach. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a career path for them or a career choice um, either. And, you know, and I think that's, that's something that just it kind of plays into the gender stereotypes of a, you know, a man will apply for a job if he's got like 5% of the qualifications where a, a woman will apply for the job if she has 99.9% .9 of the qualifications, you know, and I think we can, we could do a better job of actually making sure that our, our kids are qualified to at least take over their, their kids, five-year-old YMCA team. <laughs> That's such a good point. Cause like, I always let that, I'm like, there's always a dad who's like really gung-ho and I'm like, also, I know, like I shouldn't yell at five-year-olds. So probably I don't belong. It's not my <laughs> ministry. <laughs> I'm very self-aware about that because I can barely watch Bumblebee soccer. I'm like, they're all floating to the ball. Like, oh, it's so, I'm like getting irritated just watching it. And Samar, my oldest was such a natural. Oh, she was so good. And she would just be pirouetting in the field. And I'd just be like, go do something else. Oh my goodness. But yeah, the other thing I wanted to ask you, the last thing I want to ask you, maybe last, is that it's easy when we think about these good coaching moments to like think of the the winning, the, these winning times. But I also find that sometimes it's not just that. 
you know, sometimes the best moment when you're looking at it and you're like, oh, that was a really good moment for me as a coach is, is watching a seed that you planted years ago bloom, even if they're out of the program or watching a tiny little thing that you've been working on with a player over and over and over again, finally, finally click. When you think about the corpus of your, you know, illustrious careers, are there moment, a moment or moments that stick out as like the times where you're like, this is my favorite coaching moment. Like, this is my biggest moment that I think of when I was like, damn, I'm a good coach. Like that, that right there, I did that. I mean, certainly there's, that's a really fun conversation to have, right? Because that, that brings so much joy. Um, and some of them aren't as obvious as I think, and I could sit here and talk about, you know, raising the 2015 trophy for a long time, because we did feel like there was so much more to that trophy and so much work in that entire culture of the program up to that point. But one, one thing that sticks out in my mind is a, is a local player, uh, Megan Gill, who grew up in State College, who came into this program and challenged herself in ways that maybe she or the community felt like, okay, she, she could go and play at these other schools, but she's not going to play at Penn State. But Megan just put her head down and she worked and she worked and she worked and she tore ACL and then she worked and then she rehabbed her ACL and then she worked and she had never left State College. She had never been on an airplane. And then we took her overseas in an international trip. And then she graduated and then she left State College and she took a coaching job in the Midwest and she kind of removed herself from all of it and she grew and now she's the assistant coach down at Davidson and she's flying, you know, and to hear people come and talk to us about Megan Gill brings tears to my eyes. This is our, this is our Megan Gill, right? This is our, and so those are the types of stories and, and you know, and it doesn't obviously, that goes well beyond coaching as well into other professions, but those are the, those are the incredible ones that I, I recently heard somebody come and talk to me at a, at a recruiting event about Megan Gill. And all I could think of was, was freshman Megan Gill who had never even been on a, you know, on a, on a bus to Bucknell, you know, that, 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 that was a big trip to Lewisburg and just how proud we are of, of her and so many of the others. Yeah, I mean, like the the winning is lovely. Like, but part of why Eric and I work well together, and and Tim and Kara and the, and our whole staff is that we're driven by the relationships that we build. And so, for me, the letter that comes after graduation or whatever is is kind of what I look for is the the recounts of the things in their career that they remember from something that that coach said or something that I said or something that happened that. In, in the moment, we had no idea it was a big deal, but but left a real impact. And those are, those are the things, those are the stories, whether it comes in a letter or over a, a beer five years after they graduate or something, those are the conversations in the, in the moments where I'm like, okay, this is, this is worth it. This is, this is why we work these ridiculous hours and do all these ridiculous things is, uh, is for those moments when we don't have any idea that we're actually doing something impactful. Um, but it, it, it resonates with somebody. And I'm sure there are, for all of those good ones, there probably are plenty of letters that could come with all the terrible things that they took from us. And <laughs> we had no idea were impactful, but, um, but the good ones are what I really like. <laughs> and it's just so interesting because I think so many of those letters include that moment, that aha, or that tipping point moment that wasn't, that wasn't a positive moment, right? That had more impact than you felt at the time. You have to keep reminding yourself as a coach that, that you're now you're really coming down on them, you know, but, but that was actually a really pivotal moment. We had a moment last season where Anne had this really strong moment in the locker room and she called a couple players out. And, and at the time it felt like, 
okay, here we go. Let's see how this is going to go. Right. But it, I would attribute to a huge turning point in our season was that moment in the locker room. And, and, you know, you, you just have to remind yourself that you're doing it for the right reasons that that tough conversation came because of you believed in them more than they believed in themselves. And sure. They didn't like that moment at the time. Right. But 10 years later, that's in the waiting for that letter. That that letter may not come, but (laughs) the rest of the team will write you that letter. And then as we wrap up here this year, (laughs) you prepare for a lot of things in coaching, but I don't think anybody could have prepared for, for coaching through a pandemic. And uh, I imagine that it has been a tall order to keep morale up on your team, to train, to figure, I mean, I've been watching um, everybody who's not on Instagram, check out the Instagram and like, watch how they're not like every picture with like face masks, right? Like training in a pandemic navigate, you know, your team, I've said very publicly multiple times has been, in my opinion, um, one of the most, uh, forward thinking teams in terms of mobilizing around Black Lives Matter, around um, just respect and trying to to be oriented towards justice in a way that I've been very inspired by the work that your girls are doing. And holding all of that together this summer and then moving into a place where your season was in the air and Um, you know, you had girls on the team who are graduating or thinking about graduating who all of a sudden did not have a clear path to what they thought their, their senior season would look like. I mean, it's, and it's all happening while only people are talking about football. Um, I, I imagine that this has been an unprecedented season of coaching. Um, How have you been navigating it? Well, when you put it all that way, Amira, (laughs) 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 now, I mean, for me, as we are coming into our last month period here before the the students leave for Thanksgiving, I I can't help but to be just so grateful for the um, for the culture that we have worked so hard to put in place. Because I I look at this program, I look at these players, I look at this staff. And we are bending at every angle and moment, but but we're not breaking and, and we're not, you know, and that bending I do, you know, it's, I do think it, it is making us stronger. And I think that people are, I think every member of this program is struggling mightily. Um, but I also look at our peers and I, I look around even in our own department and I know the struggles that are going on and I can't, I can't help but just to be so proud of this program in ways that I, I, I knew we were strong. I knew these, these players were strong and I knew that they could, they could accomplish great things. Um, but this is beyond my wildest, you know, thought that, that we could come out the other side of this in the place where we are right now, knowing that we are, we are really struggling, but we are growing through it. For, for me, it's a testament to leadership, honestly, and I, I wish she wasn't on this call so I could blow her up properly, but Eric has been amazing in terms of, you, you talk about forward thinking in terms of Black Lives Matter, but also forward thinking in terms of what's the next thing that this pandemic is going to bring us, and nobody has any idea, but the, the number of conversations that we've had to try to mitigate the, the, the next big challenge, um, I think has, has helped tremendously. And again, just the consistency and the, the feeling that, that our players hopefully have that we, you know, are, 
are going through this with them. And, you know, I, I think it's so everyone kind of wants to blame someone for it, right? And, and, and be able to, like, there's just no solutions. And, and to kind of be upfront with that at the same time while offering hope and um, a way forward has been a, a real strength of, um, of Erica's and I think honestly of the whole Penn State athletic department in some ways, like they haven't been perfect, but they were in a, a really fortunate place for sure. Yeah, it feels like it was just this week last year, I was in Hawaii for a conference and waking up at 6 a.m. to watch y'all play in the tournament. And it was thrilling um, to watch you, you know, capture Big Tens again. <laughs> Ooh, that game and then the overtime game, all of it, it just, it feels like yesterday. And I can't believe it's been a year and we all can't wait to watch y'all get back out there <laughs> and, and play in earnest. And I thank you all so much for coming on Burn It All Down and talking about uh, and modeling in, in, in your everyday, what good coaching looks like, what it looks like to build pathways and to um, reach down and pull, pull people behind you and to really just set one of the biggest standards of what it looks like to have a sideline that we all hope for in the future. So thank you uh, for joining us on Burn It All Down. Huge honor, thank you. Incredibly flattering, thank you.